Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. For those who I haven't met, my name is John and I am a pastor here at Village Bible Church. For those I know, good morning. It's good to be with you. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that uh, at Village Bible Church, we're working through an Advent series right now. And while as believers, we celebrate the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord each Sunday when we gather to sing and to pray and to hear the Word of God proclaimed, the month of December is historically celebrated as the Christmas season, a season where we specifically celebrate the joyous birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This word, Advent, refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus. We know that Christ did come to the earth, and that is why, as Christians, we celebrate this season. But Scripture also makes abundantly clear that our Lord will return for his own. Therefore, not only do we celebrate Christ's triumphant first coming, but we long for, we hope for, And we look forward with anticipation to his second coming. In previous weeks, we examined the need for Christ's coming. And also, we looked at the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ's birth, in his first coming. Therefore, now today, we will look at the birth of Jesus. It is my goal this morning to help us see and comprehend the significance of the Lord Jesus' birth. My hope is that by the end of today, you will have a greater understanding of why the specifics of Christ's birth matter so much. And also that we would develop a deeper love for the wonderfully rich doctrine of God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Throughout this series, we've been using the prologue to John's gospel as a starting point. A prologue is simply another name for the introductory section of a piece of literature. This morning, please open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14. If you need a Bible, we have them available on the back table. They are there to be used, and they are there to be taken. Friends, if you need a copy of God's Word, please take a Bible today. Again, this morning, our opening passage, John chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. John writes, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not, sorry, I gotta take my glasses off here, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I ask that you would speak through me and teach your people. Lord, your spirit must illuminate the teaching and convict hearts, for I can do nothing apart from you. Father, I ask that you would equip your church 
and that you would give us understanding today from your word. I ask that the believers in this room be strengthened and encouraged and built up for service. God, I ask that the lost would be drawn and convicted to trust in Christ, to repent of sin through Jesus. Father, may all that is said, all that is done today be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we examine the birth of our Lord and Savior, how fitting these words are from John 1. We just read them. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here in John's gospel, the word is the Greek word logos. And it means the message or the word or the statement. And it refers to Jesus. He is eternal and is without beginning or end. Jesus, the Son of God, was not created, nor will he ever cease to be. The opening line of John's gospel speaks of this. We know it well. We've heard it many times, I'm sure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's John 1, 1 through 2. Since the Son of God is the Word, and these verses are a reference to Him, to help us understand, one could even say it like this. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. To understand he was in the beginning with God, consider this. The words of God in Genesis 1.26, when he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Brothers and sisters, how rich is the Trinitarian theology when the triune God refers to himself as us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are eternal. They were not created, and they were present before and during creation. However, our topic today is not Trinitarian theology, so I will stop myself right there and go no further on that. But it is important for us to understand the eternal Son of God, in order to understand the importance of these words we're talking about in John 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. Here we have the account of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary to proclaim the good news. Again, Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 26. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A familiar text, especially in the Christmas season. In this account from Luke, we are met squarely with one of the most important theological truths in all of Christianity. It is one that would be difficult to overstate the significance and the importance of. Because without it, there would be no Christianity. Christian faith stands or falls on this doctrine. What is it? That the eternal Son of God came to the earth he created. He took on human flesh and blood and was born of a virgin. Here in Luke 1, we find Mary, a young woman betrothed to a simple carpenter named Joseph in the city of Nazareth in the district of Galilee. A few uh, interesting facts for us. Nazareth was not a place of prestige or nobility. To be from Nazareth was to be of low social order and standing. This is why Nathaniel says to Philip in John 1.46, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? One of the references I was reviewing said this. It said that to be a Nazarene in that time was akin to what today would probably be referred to as a bumpkin or a hillbilly. Those are the actual words in this reference, by the way. It carried the same assumptions and stereotypes as those that those words would probably carry today. We know those. Uneducated, poor, backwards, maybe unintelligent. And we're not led to believe that Mary or Joseph are affluent or wealthy members of society in any way. In fact, from what we know, Mary and Joseph were most likely the opposite of that. Common poor, working class. And Christ the Savior is born to these. While he was born in Bethlehem, he will be known as Jesus the Nazarene on account of his being raised and growing up in Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene is not a high or lofty title for the God-man, for the king over all should not surprise us that the Lord chose an unassuming and common young woman, betrothed to a common carpenter who lived in lowly Nazareth for the Son of God to be born to. Friends, God only uses one type of people to accomplish his work. Weak, frail, common, and needy. Consider the Israelites and their dependency. 
Consider Jesus' disciples. None of them were that great. Consider you and I. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It is very likely that Mary was still quite young as she was betrothed but not yet married to Joseph. Some Bible scholars have put Mary's age at this time when Gabriel appeared to her as early as 13 or 14. And yet the angel Gabriel in Luke 1.28 appears to her and says what we just read, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Scripture says that Mary was frightened, but Gabriel continues in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The angel Gabriel continues saying that the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. As Gabriel tells Mary that she is to give birth to the Son of the Most High, I think it is worth noting what the angel Gabriel does not do. He does not bow down to Mary. He does not worship her. The angel Gabriel is a messenger from God who brings great news to Mary, who has been favored by God with the honor of carrying the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It is the good news Gabriel brings that is praiseworthy, not Mary herself. It is not my goal today to offend, but the Roman Catholic Church venerates and worships Mary. They would go so far as to say that she was sinless and holy because God chose her to carry Christ the Lord in her womb. But dear ones, nothing in all of Scripture leads us to believe that Mary was without sin. Because this would contradict so much of Scripture. It's worth noting again, Scripture says she was favored, not sinless. My mind goes to the cult of a donkey, which carried our Lord on its back when Jesus rode into Jerusalem during his triumphal entry. So also Mary is favored to carry the Lord in her womb. But she is not the subject of our praise. The words of Jesus in Luke 17.10, you don't have to turn there, are a helpful reminder here for us. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Like all of mankind, Mary, the earthly mother of our Lord, needed the sinless Savior that she carried. No man or woman is holy. No one is without sin. There is no one good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3 tells us that. And this is why the virgin birth of the sinless Savior is so important. Because there is no one else. There is no one without sin. 
Mary asks this very question in our text in Luke 1, verse 34. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary is not yet a married woman. She is betrothed to Joseph, not uh, a word that we use very commonly in our culture, but it is similar in some ways to uh, what we would consider engagement, except that it's legally binding. Uh, Betrothal would not permit Mary and Joseph to live together or to consummate their marriage physically yet until they were uh, completely married through a marriage ceremony. Thus, Mary asks the obvious question, how will this be? Everyone knows that it takes a male and a female to recreate. Even amidst our current gender-confused society, it's a pretty widespread acknowledgement that an egg does not self-fertilize. It takes a biological male and a biological female to conceive a baby. A woman cannot create a baby on her own apart from a man. Nor can a man create a baby apart from a woman. Thus, Mary's question is valid. And in Luke 1, verse 35, continuing in our, our text here, the angel Gabriel answers her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. To put it simply, God will bring this about. The Holy Spirit does not have a physical body. Our minds struggle to comprehend this, but the Holy Spirit does not have reproductive parts, nor does Scripture allude to any such concept of natural conception whatsoever. God, in His omnipotent power, in His absolute sovereignty, by the Holy Spirit, supernaturally causes Mary to be with child. A child that is truly God and truly man, and yet without sin. Jesus is not under the curse of sin because he is the eternal Son of God in human flesh and blood. He is not Joseph's son. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. One pastor said it like this, and I really liked the way he put it. Quote, the virgin birth is not incidental, but fundamental to the Christian faith. End quote. Perhaps you're here today and asking, well, isn't Jesus still under the curse of man through Mary's mother? She's a human. The simple answer is no. Though Jesus is the son of Mary and therefore has a human nature, He is without beginning or end and has existed for all time eternally. The theological term for this is hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Meaning, what does that mean? It's a fancy theological word, but what does it mean to us? Hypostatic union means that God the Son, Jesus Christ, took on a human nature, yet remained truly God at the same time. We can't comprehend this. I can't. It is so difficult to even wrap our minds around. And yet it is true because God's word says it. Scripture tells us that Jesus slept, he ate, he drank, he cried, all things of human nature. 
but in his human form, was and is still 100% God. Our human minds struggle to wrap around this. I, I, things like the virgin birth, being fully God and fully man. Maybe you're hearing me say this and you say, that's not natural. You're right, it's supernatural. The angel Gabriel in Luke 137 says it best, for nothing will be impossible with God. Perhaps you're here today and struggling to accept such miraculous and supernatural things as these. They can be difficult for our human minds to grasp. But dear ones, God's ability to do what is supernatural begins on the first page of the Bible. When in Genesis 1, it reads, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God who spoke creation into existence. God who caused the sun to stand still. God who shut the mouths of lions so that Daniel was not eaten. God who caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not be burned alive in a furnace. God who caused Peter to walk on water. God who turned water into wine. God who brought Lazarus back from the dead. God who made the blind to see. God who caused the lame to walk. God who calls sinners from death to life in Christ Jesus. Is anything too hard for God? In Psalm 115.3, the psalmist reminds us, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. No, friends, nothing is impossible for God. Not creation and not a virgin birth. An infinite God can do things infinitely. Long ago, before Christ's birth, the prophet Isaiah prophesied these words in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That name, Emmanuel, it means God with us, or God is with us. God the Son, co-existent, co-eternal, co-equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, condescended and took on flesh and blood to ransom sinful man. In order for there to be a sinless Savior, there must be one who is not under the curse of Adam. And since none of Adam's descendants is born free of sin's curse, no descendant of Adam could ever be the Savior. It necessitates one who is holy, one who is without sin, one able to pay a debt which he himself does not owe. Why was the virgin birth necessary? Because none of Adam's seed is born outside of sin's curse or free from iniquity. Dear ones, we love to think of babies, and I love babies. We love to think that they are born innocent and only later develop a sin nature. And while there is an undeniable innocence in the life of a child and a baby, no descendant of Adam is born free of sin's curse or effect. Even King David in Psalm 51, 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. The virgin birth is not supplemental to Jesus Christ's birth. It's not an ancillary or secondary antidote. It is a primary doctrine. And to understand the good news of the gospel, we must understand his sinless, his sinless birth and his perfect sinless life. I've spent a lot of uh, time this morning explaining why the virgin birth matters and how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But I would be remiss if we did not read the actual birth story. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? We're going to read the first 20 verses. Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The birth of Jesus is the greatest news any man or woman will ever hear. Because a sinless Savior, the perfect Son of God, came and lived a sinless life and paid the price for our sins by dying upon a cross in our place. And because he was raised to life again, because death could not hold him down, man is able to be made right with God. That is the great news. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 
a familiar passage, says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We have peace because he was born. We have peace because he lived, because he died, because he was raised again. And as we come to the end of our time today, how do we apply what we've read, what we've heard? The end of a sermon, our question should always be, so now what? I have a few points for us to consider in clothing or closing. First, when Mary received the news from the angel Gabriel that she would carry and give birth to the Son of God, I'm sure the news was unexpected for her. And yet scripture says that Mary tells the angel Gabriel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to, let it, let it be to me according to your word. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through today. But when unexpected news, trials, challenges come your way, what is your response? Are you tempted to despair, to grumble? May we learn from the example of a young girl and also say, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to his word. Next. When the shepherds went and saw Christ, Scripture tells us that they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. As believers, we have this same great good news of Christ the Savior being born and living and dying and raising again, triumphing over sin, death, and the grave. In fact, the final words of Jesus to his disciples before his ascension are known as the Great Commission. And what does Jesus say to them and to us? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christian in the room, are you making him known? Are you declaring the wonders of his birth, his perfect virgin birth to all around you? I would challenge you with this. If not, why not? Do you know this truth? And if we know this truth, the best and greatest news that man will ever hear, the difference between death and life, how can we not declare his goodness, his righteousness, and his perfection? And finally, today, I would ask you, as we, have, as we have talked and studied of who Jesus, the God-man, is, who do you say Jesus is? Maybe you know this already, but the majority of the pagan religions, religions in this world do not deny the existence of Jesus. Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, every one of them would say, he was a good man, he was a good teacher. Islam would go so far as to say he was a messenger from God. But all of them would say he was not God. 
they would acknowledge his humanity but deny his divinity. He's just a man. Jesus is truly God and truly man. The perfect son, eternal, without beginning or end. Scripture tells us this. Who do you say that he is? He is the Lord. He is the king. Scripture says that, every, that at the end of time, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. If you were in this room today without faith in Christ, I would encourage you, there's time. We are not promised tomorrow, but in this very moment. Repent of sin. Trust in the perfect blood of Christ shed for sinners. In his perfect life lived in our place. If you want to talk about that more, I would love to talk with you. Pastor John White, I'm sure, would be available to talk as well. Join me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the birth of your Son who came to earth, took on flesh and blood, and for our sake, died upon a cross that he didn't deserve, one that we deserved. God, thank you for salvation through Christ. We don't deserve it, and yet you freely offer it. God, I pray today for every man, woman, and child in this room, God, that you would convict us of sin, that you would show us by your word the importance of faith in Christ. Lord, be with us today as we close. God, for the Christian, there is such hope because of what Christ has done, such joy. God, we praise you and we thank you. And God, we acknowledge that we can save no one. It is your work, God, and we ask that you would do it among our friends, among our children in this room. God, be praised today that all that is done be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.